This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome back to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers, your teacher. This is episode number 47, when we look at the last half of Genesis 3.16. Let me ask you, is it God's will for men to rule over women? (laughs) Lots of men sure think so. And one verse that has been used to defend this idea is Genesis 3.16, where God tells Eve that her desire shall be for her husband, but he shall rule over her. So, uh, is this verse describing God's ordained order for the marriage relationship? Is God commanding women to let men rule over them? That's what we're lo- that is what we are looking at in today's episode of the One Verse Podcast. And hey, uh, I got some exciting news. Not the exciting news that you're waiting for coming up in September. Something else uh, to... Um, There's a new version of Logos Bible software out, and I used it to help me prepare for this study. They gave me an advanced beta version, copy of it, to check it out, and I'm pretty excited. It's got a lot of really cool features. Might even help me create some videos in the future. Uh, If you preach and teach, you can use it to help prepare your sermon notes, write your manuscripts, even send it to your iPad or something like that to help you use that. It's pretty cool. Uh, But of course, aside from all the bells and whistles, it really helps in Bible study, Hebrew-Greek research, studying commentaries, journal articles, all sorts of things. Anyway, to help you celebrate, to celebrate the uh, release of Logos 7, they're letting me offer you a 15% discount on all their base packages. And it's only for a limited time to get this 15% off. Uh, so uh, when you purchase a, a base package, I use the gold package for my study on this podcast. And then I also have an add-on, which gives me access to thousands of theological journals. Uh, very helpful. Anyway, to get that 15% off, just go to redeeminggod.com slash logos, L-O-G-O-S. Redeeminggod.com slash logos to learn more. Uh, also, you can just go to logos.com, use my coupon code, redeeminggod 7 Redeeming God 7. Uh, You'll get 15% off your purchase of any base package, plus a specially chosen commentary on Colossians by me. Won't get that uh, with another coupon code. So uh, again, won't won't last long. Take advantage of it now. Raise your Bible study methods to an entirely new level. Quick access, Bible study tools, commentaries, Greek, Hebrew resources, maps, all sorts of things. Help you learn, study, and understand scripture like never before. Anyway, that's redeeminggod.com 7, 15% off any base package. I recommend the gold or the silver, plus a free commentary on Colossians. Great deal, can't beat it. So last episode, in episode 46, we looked at the first half of Genesis 3.16, in which we learned that God does not curse women, does not inflict pain on women in childbearing. That is not what this verse is teaching. God does not make women suffer for the sin of Eve. (laughs) Now, there is obviously pain involved when women give birth, but that is not what Genesis 3.16 is talking about. 
if you, oh, you really need to go back and listen to that episode really before you listen to this one. That was episode 46, uh, when we looked at the first half of Genesis 3.16. We basically saw, see if I can summarize it real briefly for you, that the word for pain in Genesis 3.16 is the same exact word used for toil here in Genesis, I'm sorry, not here, but in Genesis 3.17, which we'll look at next time. And nobody thinks, at least nobody in their right mind, that men working out in the field, digging holes, planting trees, you know, pulling weeds, that sort of a thing, is the same pain that women experience when they're giving birth. And yet, it is the exact same word in Hebrew. And so, we either have to conclude that men do, in fact, experience the same pain that women do, (laughs) which they don't, or we have to conclude that the Hebrew word there means something different than the pain that women experience in childbirth. And that's the argument I, I went with. We saw that um, the word means hardship or toil or frustration, something like that. And then we saw further that the two areas which God talks about in Genesis 3.16, this toil, hardship, frustration that women experience in conceiving and giving birth, and then also in co-ruling the world with their partners, with their husbands, are the same two areas... Same two commands, same two instructions that God gave to the man and the woman in Genesis 1.28 for them to live as his images on earth. Back in Genesis 1, God, after God created Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, in his image, he told them that they were to have children and rule the earth. Okay, so that helps inform us what's going on here in Genesis 3.16. God is telling them that now that they have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, rivalry has entered the scene, and both of these tasks and responsibilities are going to face intense amounts of frustration and turmoil. All right, so the first half of Genesis 3.16, which we looked at last time, shows God telling Eve there's going to be more trouble in conceiving and bearing children. And uh, so that's what we learned in the last episode. Please go listen to it if you missed it. Very important episode. Today, we're going to look at the second half of Genesis 3.16, where God says to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, there there have been countless and endless debates in Christian circles about what this means. Some people think that that first part, which mentions desire, refers to sexual desire, uh, but that doesn't actually fit the experience of many women, and so many rightfully wonder if that understanding of this verse can be right, and I disagree. That is not what, that's not what this verse is talking about. Uh, lots of Christians, especially, especially men, have focused on the second part of this, this last statement, that uh, where God says, and he shall rule over you. You know, this is an indication to some men that it is their right, their God-given right, to rule their wives, and wives are to submit and serve. I attended a church, uh, my wife and I, we were brand new married. Uh, I was in seminary, first year of seminary. This was in Denver. We attended a church there and for a while, and uh, one of the elders had this, this Bible study, and uh, we went. Uh, <laughs> he told me, based on this verse, 
that, uh, and, and other verses, like in Ephesians 5 and other places, that it was a woman's place to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Now, I know lots of people say that's a joke, that people, but this guy actually told me that. He actually believed this, and he had Bible verses to, to, to back it up. I am not making this up, all right? Uh, needless to say, my wife and I did not last that much longer in that church. <laughs> it wasn't too much longer before we were out looking for a new church to attend. Uh, the point is that some Christians do see this last phrase in verse six, uh, 13, I'm sorry, 16, as a description of the way things should be, right? The way God wants his world to run since sin entered the scene. They'll say something like, look, sin entered the scene when Eve was deceived and this shows that, you know, women can't be trusted. They don't have the logical capabilities in order to defend themselves against temptation or something like that. I don't know. The arguments are always ridiculous. Uh, and therefore, men are to rule their women and to tell women what to do and to protect their women, you know, all these sorts of things. And that's why the woman apparently needs to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Now, Look, you're going to hear it stated differently, especially in today's day and age. That sort of language is a lot more popular in previous decades and centuries. People are a little more tactful about it today. But again, even though those sorts of words, and maybe not stated quite that bluntly, uh, you might not hear it that way from most pulpits or in most books. You, you probably have run across this way of thinking from some men, and maybe even some women as well from time to time. So, uh, sadly, though, this, this entire way of abusing women, uh, you know, by misusing Genesis 3.16, is the exact opposite of what this verse means. Uh, although, <laughs> this way of reading this verse perfectly reveals what God was saying. All right? So, it, it's interesting. This way of reading the verse reveals what God was saying. But this way of reading this verse is the exact opposite of what God was saying. How can that be, Jeremy? What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Well, bear with me. We'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll try to explain that. Here's, here's what's happening. In the last half of verse 16, God is not giving men permission or instructions to rule over women. Okay? That is not what God is saying, even though that's what many, how many men interpret it. What God is saying is that this is what men will try to do. <laughs> and that is what men are trying to do. All right, so that's how to understand verse 16. God is not giving an instruction or a command here. He's telling Eve, hey, uh, men are going to try to rule over you. Uh, actually, what, what he's saying there is you are going to want to rule over men. That is, your desire shall be for your husband, but he will rule over you. All right, and that's true. Uh, in a lot of relationships, you know, there's this struggle. Um, look, let, let, me, let me back up. We, we see this most clearly. We go back again to Genesis 1, 26-28, okay? Remember back then, we saw that originally God created women and men to live and work together as his image. Remember, it's not that man is created in the image of God and that the woman is also created in the image of God. It doesn't work that way. The image of God on earth is a them. In the image of God, male and female, he created them, okay? So the image of God, remember, exists in relationship, not as individuals. 
The image of God exists and operates within the midst of a relationship. And as the relational image of God and earth, God says in Genesis 1.28 that he wants the man and the woman to do two things, to have children and to rule the earth. And both of these things are to be done together in the relationship. And then, like we saw last time, the first half of Genesis 3.16 reveals that the process of having children is going to be frustrating. And now the second half of verse 16 reveals that this co-rulership of the earth will also be frustrating. All right, so, so Genesis 3.16 is just showing that these two things God told Adam and Eve to do are now going to be areas of frustration and toil and hardship. So uh, why, what about this second half? Why is this co-rulership between the male and the female now going to be frustrating? Well, the text says that basically on the one hand, she, the woman, is going to desire to be the one to rule. She is going to desire to have the preeminent position uh, in the relationship. But because men are typically physically stronger, right, he is going to be the one who typically wins that power contest. Um, God created men and women to rule together, to have dominion together. But now, because they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, okay, they both desire the first position. And so they're in rivalry. They're in competition. The team has split up, and they're now on opposite sides, competing with each other for control. So again, what we have here is a prediction of what is coming, not a prescription of the way things should be. God is telling Eve what will happen. He is not telling her what is supposed to happen. Genesis 3.16b, the last part there, contains a consequence, not a command. And so, you know, it is really tragic. (laughs) Really tragic. But typical as well when men use this verse to justify their mistreatment of women. All right, although this verse says such things will happen, this verse does not say that such things should happen. She will have a desire to rule over husband, but he typically will end up ruling her. And history has revealed this over and over. Men have been able to dominate women simply and only because they tend to be physically stronger. It's just the way God made us. Take it up with him. All right. My wife is a workout maniac. Uh, She's very fit. She's very strong. I hardly work out at all. And you put us in an arm wrestling match or, uh, you know, even just a regular wrestling match or lifting things, opening jars, okay? And much to her frustration, even though I don't work out, I'm still stronger than her. It's just the way God made men. It doesn't make us superior. It doesn't make women inferior, Okay? There's lots of gifts and abilities and strengths that women have, which men do not. All right, So we're equals, but because of these differences and because men just happen to be, the way God made us, to be the stronger partners in this relationship, history has shown that we tend to abuse this strength and misuse it in ways that enslave and dominate and mistreat even women. All right, we're not smarter, wiser, more spiritual, nothing like that. In fact, we could argue the exact opposite, 
All right. But God is saying here, women, you will want to rule. Your desire is going to be to rule. And God gave you that desire. It's a good desire. Not to rule over men, but to join with your partners, your husband, in ruling. That's a good desire, God-given desire. But because men are stronger, they will rule over you. So in light of that, how sad it is when we Christian men sometimes use this verse and other verses like it in the Bible to rule and dominate women. We see this verse and we say, well, God said it. That settles it. (laughs) I believe it. You know, women submit. (laughs) Uh, As a side note, by the way, I want to point out that the two words for rule in Genesis 1.28 and uh, the one word there, and then the word here in Genesis 3.16, those two words, they are different, all right? In Genesis 1.28, the word for rule is radah, all right? It means to guide, tend, protect. Uh, it, it's a benevolent style of ruling, primarily, you know, carried out by humans over the earth and its creatures, all right? That's, that's Genesis 1.28, radah, benevolent ruling. The word for rule here in Genesis 3.16 is mashal. And it refers to mastery, lordship, uh, to govern, control. It's more of a power-based type of rulership. It's uh, used in reference to how rich people have supremacy over the poor. Uh, in Proverbs, for example, 22.7, how, how fierce kings oppress their people. Uh, Judges 14.4, places like that, okay? And this fits. Why does God have one type of rulership in Genesis 1.28 and a different word for rule here? If, he's, he's, if he has in mind the same things, well, because in Genesis 1.28, we were to rule together in a benevolent way. Men and women together as co-equal, co-rulers over creation, over the plants and animals, and it would be a benevolent, caring rulership. But in this situation, now that there's rivalry between the men and the women, both are, both are trying to dominate the other, and the man, because he's stronger, he's going to typically win that contest, okay? It's no longer a benevolent ruling, it's a harsh lording over the other mastery type of ruling, which uh, is typically abused by the rich and by the powerful, by the kings and by those in authority, and also by men, all right? We typically, we men typically have not been benevolent guides who serve alongside others for the common good, you know, equally sharing responsibility and reward. No, typically, we've been like the rich, the powerful, We lord our position, privilege over others, commanding that they serve us, submit, do what we want, right? Or else they'll be punished, put down. Uh, And and really, this brings us back around to something we've been seeing throughout Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, We'll see it again later on. You may recall, just by way of review, I've been telling you about these six revolutionary foundational truths which are found in Genesis 2 and 3. I haven't mentioned them in a couple of episodes. Um... But they are seen here again. And I've been telling you, by the way, if you see these six ideas, you will not only gain a better grasp, understanding of the Bible, but you'll also understand yourself, history, politics, economics, okay? Pretty much every aspect of life. Um, what happens? What's going on behind the scenes, right? And, and we've seen five of these six so far. There's still one more. Let me just review them for you. We saw in Genesis 2.18, humans are built for relationships. Then we saw that humans are made to imitate Imitate God, imitate one another, imitate the things we see. But imitation, this is the third thing, imitation awakens desire. Uh, We see what others desire and we desire it as well. 
And this desire, when two or more people are desiring the same object, well, then fourth truth is that desire creates a rivalry. We're now in competition with each other for the same object of desire. And fifth and final, not finally, but the fifth thing that we've seen, still one more, which we haven't seen yet, rivalry causes accusation, blame, and scapegoating. They, Adam and Eve, were blaming each other, blaming the serpent, and even blaming God. Okay, there was blame getting pointed all over the place. God never ends up accusing, blaming, or scapegoating anybody, because God doesn't do those things. Uh, Anyway, as I was going through those five things, there's still one more, which we'll be looking at in a future episode uh, for for the six revolutionary truths. But did you notice, as I was sort of summarizing those, that one of the key words... Uh, in the fourth foundational truth, is also found here in Genesis 3.16. So that word desire, I said the fourth foundational truth was that desire creates rivalry. All right? And here, Eve uh, is told that her desire shall be for her husband. Now, desire was introduced to us back in Genesis 3, 6, and 7. Eve saw the fruit, that it was pleasing to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. She desired the wisdom of God, which she thought she, should, she could get from the fruit. That's why she ate from it. She entered into a rivalry with God and with her husband, Adam. And then, of course, Adam entered into a rivalry as well. He imitated Eve in desiring the same thing she desired, the wisdom, and so he also ate from the fruit. All right, so, so again, this is this imitative, uh, we could call it mimetic rivalry showing up uh, there, but also here in Genesis 3.16, okay? The text says that she initiates the desire. Her desire shall be for her husband. Her desire is for her husband. She desires what she believes his position to be. She desires what she believes he desires. So, She believes he desires to rule over her, which he does, and so she desires that as well. She desires to rule over him. Of course, what happens is he sees this desire that she wants to rule, and so he imitates her desire and desires to rule over her. He desires to rule as well. They both desire to rule over others, uh, each other, And then they both imitate that desire in the other, and it just causes the desire to amplify, to increase, to multiply, until eventually they are going to use accusation, blame, and scapegoating to win the contest. And eventually that will lead to the sixth truth, which, again, we see later in Genesis chapter 3, um, especially Genesis 3, 22, 23, 24, and ultimately, finally, in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 really unveils this entire process all over again with a really an emphasis on this idea of desire and rivalry and accusation, blame and scapegoating, and really that sixth foundational truth, which we have yet to see. So anyway, the bottom line truth, Genesis 3.16, don't worry about all that. Again, I will be talking about it more. It's such a foundational, uh, fundamental truth. I'll be talking about it a lot in the future, uh, pointing it out again and again, because it's so important in Scripture, understanding ourselves and history and politics, elections, economics, okay, everything. It's just going to pop up all all over the place. Anyway, the bottom line truth in Genesis 3.16 is that this verse should never, ever, ever, men, listen, never be used as a divine permission slip for the poor treatment of women. 
Men should not mistreat, abuse, or seek to dominate women, especially not by using this verse. Well, look, God says it. I get to do it. No. This verse is not giving you permission. It's saying it will happen, and it does, but it's not saying it's a good thing. This verse is portraying the negative consequences of what will happen to women as a result of eating the forbidden fruit. The correct way of reading this verse is to recognize, look, we all have a tendency, a desire, a God-given desire to rule. But this, this ruling that we're supposed to have is to be in relationship with one another. Not with one lording their position over the other, not with one trying to become first and preeminent over the other, but co-ruling. I have my gifts and abilities and strengths and talents, and so does my wife. She has her own. Mine are not better than hers, and hers are not better than mine. But together we can depend and rely on one each other, and each of us encourage and strengthen the gifts and abilities in each other, and in that way face the world to raise our children and to bring peace and love and harmony to the plants and the animals and the other people that we interact with, to serve alongside one another instead of seek to rule over the other. Listen, men, if you are in a relationship with a woman, and you are, whether it's your wife, a daughter, sister, mother, girlfriend, all right, even if it's uh, not a family or loving relationship, you know, it might be a coworker, just a friend, maybe even a neighbor, Never, ever, ever treat them as lesser human beings, as people who must be ruled over, controlled, or dominated. To behave that way is to behave contrary to the will of God, and is to ignore the fact that the only way you are to actually rule, govern, and have dominion over this earth is with an equal woman who is a partner at your side. Only together, as men and women living as equals, are we able to function as the image of God on earth. We each bring different things to the the table, but we need each other if we are going to fulfill God's plan and purposes for our lives. So in the end, what is Genesis 3.16 saying? Well, it points back to Genesis 1.28, where we learn that God originally created human beings as men and women who together function as the image of God on earth, his mere image, doing the things that he did, imitating him. And two of the ways we were supposed to do this, two primary ways, is to have children and have dominion over the plants and animals of there. That means to tend them benevolently. But now, Genesis 3.16 Both of these areas have become full of toil and trouble for women. Bearing children and being a wife will now be full of trouble, hardship, and frustration. God didn't send these things, cause these things, or inflict these things. God is just describing the consequences. That's all. God is not punishing Eve and all women who follow her, but is simply describing the consequences that resulted from eating the forbidden fruit. That's all that Genesis 3.16 is saying. God's not a cosmic abuser of women, and we men should not be either. Instead, we should recognize God's original plan and purpose 
was for men and women to rule together as equal partners in God's design for this world. That's Genesis 3.16. Much more encouraging and hopeful and instructive than probably many of us have heard before from our pulpits and in books and even in commentaries. I hope you found it encouraging, instructful, insightful, as you do, hopefully, with all of these One Verse podcast episodes. If you want to do some of this research on your own, listen, I I invite you to do so. If you want to check up what I'm saying about the word rule or the word pain in the last episode or, you know, this uh, whole concept that we've been talking about, look, get some Bible software to help you, and I highly recommend Logos Bible Software. Logos 7 is brand new. It's out this week, in fact. And uh, it's their best platform yet. It's easy to use, which makes the Bible easier to learn. And if you want to get a package, I highly recommend the silver or the gold package. And uh, you can get 15% off by using my coupon code REDEEMINGGOD7. You can learn more. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash logos. And uh, that will give you everything you need. Also give you the coupon code to get started. And to give you 15% off, so you also can begin studying the Bible in depth, learning about God, learning about Scripture like never before. Next time, we pick back up in Genesis 3.17 and what God says to Adam. Make sure you join us then. See you next time. <music>